Divas. Let's sing the one right across the page. Thank you. 
Colorado's nice. I don't get me wrong. I, I'm happy with Colorado. But that place is going to be a better place. Now, Peter was promised mm -hmm. that he wouldn't work for nothing ever again. <laughs> Where they fished all night and caught nothing, and then Jesus okay. said, Well, cast your nets one more time just for me. And they did, and they filled their nets. They, where the boat boats were about to sink. Peter says, I'm not worthy to be in your presence, Lord. And Jesus said, there's coming a time when you won't fish for nothing. You'll be doing my bidding all the time. And your reward will be great. Look forward to being there. That's what I want to do. Right. Let's Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come to your house, Lord, and we thank you for your, your love and mercy and kindness. You're watching the you guys each and every day. Thank you for the folks that are sick today, the ones that are here.
Where's the picture of the prairie you got on there? That's up over on County Road 11 in Teller County behind. Okay. Uh, oh, uh, behind Pikes Peak. Oh, okay. Up there around Cripple Creek. Okay, that's, that's a nice country up in there. It's beautiful. Well, last Monday I got some pictures of 10 antelope out on the prairie just west oh. of Rocky Ford. That's a... I was out there on a bicycle. wants to hang out this morning, doesn't it? <laughs> there we go. All right, it should turn when it's red like that. Okay. If it goes blue, then you can hit the button and it'll start again. Okay. I'll watch it. Okay. Let's turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 24. We read the first 11 verses of that. Um, no, verse tw chapter 23, pardon me. We read the first 11 verses at the end of our class last Sunday. And in that 11th verse, uh, you'll recall that Paul had been um, rescued by the Roman government. He'd, they, they came and found him in the middle of a, an uproar and the People were about to kill him, to stone him, and they pulled him out of there and wanted to know what he had done, what kind of a varmint he might have been, and figured he was that uh, Egyptian that had hauled a, a gang of murderers out into the desert. And uh, anyway... Paul was uh, in prison that night and Jesus came to be with him. The Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Well, that word good cheer isn't say, saying, Cheer up, Rome, or cheer up, Paul, I've got, I'm going to send you to Rome. No, it's saying, be of good courage. Don't, you've still got a long ways to go. And so he, the idea is, be of good courage, Paul, for, for you've testified for me here in Jerusalem, but I'm going to send you clear to Rome. So he said that this isn't, this isn't the end of your trials. This is just the beginning. And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. So these unbelieving Jews were really dead set against Paul. They were going to kill him. Get him off of the face of the earth. He said, we don't, we don't want him here. We, we want to get rid of him. Because he's changing the world as we know it. Well, 
Sometimes we need the world as we know it changed. And this was one of those times. And they were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy, who had come under this, uh, this vow to kill Paul before they would eat or drink anything. And they came to the chief priest and the elders and, and said, we have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. He said, what? they came right to the Sanhedrin, the leaders of Israel, or of uh, Jerusalem there. The Sanhedrin court. He said, we want you to help us out. And he says, now therefore, ye with the council signify to the chief captain that he bring him down unto you tomorrow, as though you would inquire something more of him, more perfectly concerning him. And we, ever before he come near, are ready to kill him. He says, you, you just tell the, the chief captain there, the, the magistrate over the city of Jerusalem, this, this magistrate was a man who was, uh, I believe was, his name is Claudius Lysias, um, and they said, you, you tell him that you want to find out a little bit more about Paul and that you want to talk to him. And before he ever gets near you, we're going to kill him. We're going to do him in. And so they, they wanted the, the priests and the elders of Israel to be part, have a part in Paul's murder. They were going to kill him. They asked him, asked him to do that. Said so you, you tell that chief captain, the, the magistrate over Jerusalem, that we we want that you want to talk to him, know a little bit more about him. And then Paul's sister's son heard their lying in wait. He went and entered into the castle. And told Paul. So he came. He, this was Paul's nephew. Paul's sister's son. Heard about the plot. I imagine it wasn't kept too quiet. Ever, a lot of the unbelieving Jews wanted that. Wanted Paul done away with. And when he heard about this. He went into the castle. He went to the headquarters of this magistrate, the headquarters of the army there in Jerusalem. And he told Paul. Then called then Paul called one of the centurions, one of the officers there of the Roman army, to him, and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. He says called the officer over and he says, you, you take this young man over there and talk to the, cap, the chief captain, the, the head man here in Jerusalem. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him 
and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee, who hath something to say unto thee. He says, this man who had been guarding Paul brought this man to him, or the, the, I guess this was a centurion that brought him to the captain. Then the chief captain took, took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, what is it that thou hast to tell me? What, what news do you have for me? Sound, sounded like he was a reasonable man. Uh, and there were reasonable people in the Roman army. But he, he took him aside and said, All right, young man, what do, you, what do you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring, him, Paul, bring down Paul to tomorrow under the council as though they would inquire some, somewhat of him more perfectly. He said, the Jews have made this plot. They want you to bring Paul down so that they can question him a little bit more, a little, a little bit further. But do not thou yield unto them, for there lie in wait for him of them more than 40 men, which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready looking for a promise from thee. They want you to promise them that you'll bring him down to them. So this chief captain, the magistrate over Jerusalem, thought about this for not more than a minute, it seems like. And uh, he took action. Verse 22 so the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, See thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things to me. He said, You be real careful not to tell anybody that you've told me these things. I don't want anyone else to know that I know. And so he let Paul's nephew go, but he said, Don't tell anybody. And he called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, and spearmen two hundred, and at the third hour of the night. Well, think about how many people there were that he sent as an armed guard taking Paul. He said there are more than four. Uh, Paul's nephew said there are more than 40 men out there who want to kill him. But this man was not taking any chances. He wanted to get his prisoner to Caesarea. So he started off with 200 men. And these are soldiers, foot soldiers. This is infantry and make ready 200 soldiers to go to, to Caesarea. And horsemen, three score and 10. That's another 70 on horseback. And spearmen, 200 at the third hour of the night. I understand that that idea of spearmen might have been, might have been uh, 
archers. It may have been people who threw the javelin. Uh, spears of very any different kind. But, and he said, provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe unto Felix, the governor. So he says, I'm going to send him to Felix up in Caesarea. Now, Caesarea was something like 60 miles away. And he, they started off at 9 o'clock at night, going up to, in, heading in the general direction of Caesarea. And I don't think this was a standard procedure. This wasn't, the, people didn't travel at night if they didn't have to. Well, they, he sent a, a huge contingent of men just to guard Paul, just this one man. And so they set off at nine o'clock at night with this, all these, with this big armed guard. And they went north they went about halfway to uh, to Antipatris. Now, Antipatris was just across the border between Judea and Caesarea, or uh, Judea and uh, Samaria. So this this was the border right there, and Antipatris was just north of that border. Just uh, they called the name the name of Antipatris uh, Aphek, A A P H E K, Aphek. I I wouldn't know how to find Aphek. I could find it on the map, but it's right almost exactly halfway to Caesarea. So they got there that night. They had traveled maybe 25, 30 miles at night on horseback. And with these foot soldiers also. That was quite a forced march for them. So they got to Antipatris and the, the foot soldiers and the bowmen or the uh, the spearmen they they call them here those were those went back to Jerusalem but the horsemen went ahead and took Paul the next day on into Caesarea so they figured that they'd gotten past those 40 men there in Jerusalem and they didn't need that heavily armed guard from that point on they are. They had forty good soldiers on horseback, and they figured they weren't going to run into any more trouble. So they sent the armed guard back to Jerusalem. And Paul and these and the soldiers went on the other twenty-five or thirty miles uh, to Caesarea. And so. Let's see, where did I leave off reading here? Hmm. Okay, verse 25. And he wrote a letter after this manner. Now, Claudius Lysias is the name of the man. who He is that 
chief magistrate, the chief captain, as they call him here. Uh, and he starts off saying who he is. And he says, Claudius Lysias, unto the most excellent governor, Felix, sendeth greetings. This man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them. Then I came with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. Notice he stretched things a little bit here. Um, he's making himself look good. He says, I found out that he was a Roman. <laughs> he had no idea who Paul was. He thought he was some Egyptian. And uh, he says, but I went and I rescued him because I found out he was a Roman. <laughs> well, okay, that's all right. Let him stretch it. He, he goes on. He says, and when I would have known the cause whereof they accused him, I brought him forth unto their council. He says, I, I hauled him off to their council. Well, they were, they are, their council was ready to kill him. And uh, so he didn't take them there. And whom I perceived to be accused of, a, of the question of, question of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or of bonds. He says, I, I couldn't figure out, you know, it seems to be something about their law. We don't have any, Romans don't have anything to do with Jewish law. So he said, we don't, we don't see anything wrong with him, but we don't see any reason why he should go, be put to death or, or even be put in prison. And when it was told me that the Jews laid wait for the man, I sent straightway to thee and gave commandment to his accusers also to say before thee that they had what they had against thee against him farewell so he wrote this letter and he says i i did the right thing and i sent him on to you because there's so much unrest here in in jerusalem that he he was in risk of losing his life here but i I'm sending him on up to you because you're the you're the governor. You're the governor of this whole region here. And so he was uh Claudius Lysias's boss, if you will. He he was the governor of this whole region. And we think about that the Roman government had their own way of dividing the country up. They had provinces and uh, you know Judea was one and then there was Samaria and Philistia and Asia uh, all of these places that, that Paul had visited you know but this was their their way of dividing things up but they had governors, people that Claudius or Caesar had put over various provinces. And Felix was the governor. He was the main man over that region. So Claudius Lysias sent him to the next higher man up the 
chain of command here. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was. And when he understood that he was of Cilicia, he said, I will hear thee. I will hear thee, said he. This is verse 35. When thine accusers also are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. Well, Herod's judgment hall was kind of like... Uh, it was a prison, yes, but it was also more than that. It was like a, a city hall or a main center of of government there. But he says, we'll, we'll keep him in protective custody right here with us. He's not going anywhere. And uh, he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. Well, that's, that's fine. Paul was a prisoner already. And, but I think he was probably treated well because they really didn't have anything against him. They just wanted to find out what was going on here. Why why all this commotion that took place there in Jerusalem? And after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with certain of uh, with a certain orator named Tertullius, who informed the governor against Paul. Don't you know, he was an orator. He could speak well, but this man was a lawyer. <laughs> you can count on it. He took the the side of the Jews, the Jewish council, the, and he spoke on their behalf to explain to Lysia, to uh, Felix, what the problem was and how the Jews saw it. And so this man Tertullius spoke very eloquently. He was, says he was an orator. He could say things in, uh, even nasty things in a nice way. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And when he was called forth, Tertullius began to accuse him, saying, seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence, buttering him up a little bit, getting him prepared to be on their side. He says, we, we enjoy great uh, quietness and your, your worthy deeds are done unto this nation by your providence. You've provided so much for us. And we accept it always, and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. We're thankful that you're our governor. We're, we're happy with you. Notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldst hear us of thy clemency a few words. We want you to be to hear hear what we have to say about this man. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow, 
and a mover of sedition among the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Ooh, make it sound like he's a dangerous critter. And he says he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. I don't know that there was a sect of the Nazarenes. But that's all right. He's, they're making him look bad. That's the point. That's why Tertullius was chosen by the Sanhedrin to, to make Paul look bad before Felix. Felix had no idea who he was. Well, he may, maybe he did. He may have known a little about Paul because the things that Paul had been doing weren't kept quiet. This was something that the Jewish people especially knew about, and Felix wasn't uh, out of touch with the Jewish people as, at all. But Tertullius goes on in verse 6, he says, Who also hath gone about to profane the temple, whom we took and would have judged according to our law. He said, he, he was saying bad things about the temple. Now, they notice Tertullius took the word of the Sanhedrin, who took the word of those men from Asia, who thought that Paul had brought an Ephesian into the temple. So it was a misunderstanding but they didn't like Paul anyway. They didn't like that he was leading people into service to Jesus as God's son, the Messiah. Paul claimed Jesus as the Messiah of Israel. And they didn't want a Messiah like that who hung on a cross and died and then rose again. But that's exactly what Jesus did. And that's what G what Paul was preaching. Uh, he said, we're, we're going to judge him according to our law. We were going to stone him right there on the spot. But the chief captain, Lysias, came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands. Oh, man, this, this, this Claudius Lysias, he's... He came and he took him, took him out of our hands with great violence. Well, they were going to do violence, and Lysias just pulled him out of the midst of them. He he had to he may have roughed some of them up in the process, but that's all right. He was rescuing Paul because he didn't he didn't know what Paul had done. Uh, so he. He took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee by examining of, of whom thou mayest take knowledge of all these, all these things whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. He said, yeah, yeah, Tertullius hit it right on the head. He, he said it just the way we would have said it. If we could have, mind you. <laughs> but even Tertullius wasn't, he was stretching it. You'll notice that 
they stretch things. This is human nature. Whether it's uh, Claudius Lysias in his letter to Felix, or whether it's um, this this man, this orator, talking to Felix. They stretch things a bit. This was common in that day, and, and it wasn't something that... It's common in our day, too, by the way. Andy, you have some... Yes. 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 Weren't supposed to what? Take life. Oh, to take life. life and death stuff was to the Romans. Well, the Roman government was over that, and they they kept it as their own prov- providence. Well, it's like keeping power. Yes. Yes. On his watch, right. Self-preservation, they're yes. Right. Yes. we allowed this uprising in the, so in our territory. So, yes, and you know, the Roman government was one that said, we'll, we'll let you have your religion. I, we are not, we're not into religion at all. We don't care about what your religion is. You, you keep your religion, but you keep yourselves in line. And whoever's in charge of your 
religion or your and this went for uh all the other religions as well the the idol worshipers it didn't matter who they were as long as they stayed in line according to the roman government the roman government had their own uh hierarchy from caesar down to these governors to down to the uh, chief captain here in jerusalem and he had centurions officers under him and then they had they were in charge of various divisions as well but that was a separate thing from all these other and they were charged with keeping the peace they were like a police force yes uh tyler It's like in Russia, they fear the KGB, you know, and that type of thing. It, it's the same sort of thing. And and the Romans really had a pretty fair um, type of government. It was effective, let's put it that way. Uh, and they did have a certain degree of uh, lenience. They allowed these people to keep their own religion, allowed them to mind their own business and as long as the Romans had control over the area. Anything get out of control, like these riots here that among the Jews, that had to be quelled instantly. Put a, and that's what Claudius Lysias did. He quelled a riot and he said, all right, what, what did this man do? We, we can't even figure out what he did. But here he is, the Jews are out to kill him. We don't, we don't understand this stuff. This is according to their law. And he said, but we don't find anything really wrong with him. We see no reason why he should be put to death or even kept in prison. And so send him on to Felix, move him up the chain of command. And this was God's doing. I, I assure you that Paul was in the best of hands. Now, he may have been a prisoner of the Roman government, but it, the Roman government was keeping him from being killed by the Jews. And this was God's doing. So, I'm not sure where we stopped. Uh, and... Okay, verse 9 is where we stop. Let's, let's stop there. That's really kind of a good place because Felix has been uh, shown what the situation is here. And Paul is about to give his defense. So we'll take up there next week 
and we'll we'll stop here believe it or not we're stopping a few minutes early <laughs> this is is this isn't our custom here <laughs> but we'll we'll break tradition this morning and stop a few minutes early all right it's good to see you fred and kathy good to see you here this morning Glad to have you here with us. And I can't get every I'm getting everything running at one time, so I got this one rolling this morning for Brother Ed, and it apparently quit running on him about halfway through Sunday school. So technology is fickle. It's almost as fickle as its maker, isn't it? <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Um, any prayer requests this morning? Uh, of course, remember Brother Wayne and Sister Shirley. Is, uh, Sister Shirley is sick this morning. Um, remember Jean, uh, Jean and Joe. Uh, Jean is at home getting ready for a procedure tomorrow. So, or Joe is at home getting ready for a procedure tomorrow. And Sister Jean stayed with him. So, um, Remember him as he has that procedure tomorrow. I'd like you to pray for Barb. Okay. Her, she's had trouble with her legs this past week. Hasn't been able to be up and around the way she usually okay. is and would like to be. And even missed one of her uh, swimming classes. And that's not like her. She tries to do that if she can't do anything else. Okay. Remember, Sister Barbara. Let's continue to remember Sister Andy as well. And then um, remember Sister Rhonda and her family. I haven't heard anything from her this week. I, I messaged her and she said she'd call me, but she hasn't. I imagine there's something going on with her family. So you heard anything from her? I don't think Abby's doing as well. Okay. Okay. I may try to call her this in between services tonight this morning and this afternoon. See if I can get a hold of her, but she may not have a signal. That may be why. And I kind of thought that that might be what's going on. So let's remember Sister Rhonda, of course, Addie and Aaron and, and the kids there. Um, continue to remember Sister Tammy and her family. Um, any update on Megan, Osher? No? Okay. Um, Okay. They ever figure out what was going on with her? Was it shingles? No, they decided she got bit by a brown recluse. Oh. Oh goodness. Brown recluse is really bad. Okay. Grandma June still healing. Grandma June is doing great. Good. Okay. So remember Kathy and Fred, it looks like they're going to be with us maybe one more time and then they're going to be heading back to Illinois. So we've been, it's been a blessing to have you all. Possibility. Possibility? Yes. Well, we'll be okay if you stay here with us for a little while longer. So we'll be okay with that. It's been a blessing to have you guys with us. Good, good. We're glad of that. Um, 
continue to remember, um, I mentioned a, a friend of mine uh, and that lives in Wyoming. Um, her grandson has cancer, so he's going through some treatments. His name is Brody. I believe the last name is Hinkle, but remember them in prayer. Um, as well as one of uh, my coworkers, uh, April Morris, she has uh, a skin cancer that is needing some care, so remember her. Yes, Brother Elias and Sister Katrina, um, and with dealing with their house. Um, I haven't heard any update as to what they need or if there's anything that they have need of. So, um, uh, Brother Elias and Sister Katrina are, they visited us last fall, and he's a, a, a young preacher up in Anchorage, Alaska, there with Brother Dave, and their house burnt this week. So, how bad was the damage? Uh, the house wasn't completely burned down, but they're thinking it's going to be ruled a total loss. So um, I don't know if you guys knew this, but they typically they ran a Airbnb out of their their bottom floor, so they would have people that would come and stay, come to travel to Anchorage. They would rent it out. It's kind of like a, an apartment. Right. So um, along with Brother Elias works, I think at a at a bank, and there's several other things that they they have going for them. She's an author, so she writes books. Um, so plus she has the three kids, so, um, they've got a lot going on in their lives. So remember, remember them. Um, but I probably will have an update probably later this week. So, um, continue to remember, um, uh, church in New Macedonia there in, uh, Gatewood, Missouri, uh, as well as my mother-in-law, sister Stacy Crawl, who's a member there. Uh, with her health. Um, continue to remember Jared and Elizabeth Baker uh, and their marriage as well. Um, continue to remember uh, our upcoming visit from Chris and Julie Budd. I, I've, they're going to be here the 24th of, of August, um, as well as um, the Champagnes from Alaska will be here the end of October to spend a few days with us. So um, they'll be here. I'm sure, uh, he'll be with us that Sunday. So we might have him preach if, if the church is okay with that. Um, so they're looking forward to coming and visiting us a few days. This is their tour through the lower 48. So when they come, they come and they hit as many places as they can. So we're looking forward to their visit. Um, remember brother Dan Atkins there in California. I understand he's do, doing pretty well still. So, and his wife. So remember them, they're recovering from COVID. Uh, continue to remember Sister Judy Byers um, and Sister Paula Dovers. I know she's struggling with her recovery from COVID and her foot surgery. She's got one more surgery, and uh, I'm going to try to give her a call this week and check on her. Um, any other prayer requests this morning? Oh, oh goodness. said Jeff? Okay. All right. Let's remember this. Anything else? Remember those unspoken and things like that that we don't... We know the Lord knows those needs. Continue to remember our sister churches, our nation, our, leader, our leaders, our military, ongoing conflict overseas. Uh, remember James Allen Ruff. I meant, forgot to mention him and his... Uh, treatment of his colon cancer and anyone else
not, we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Uh, Brother Tony, would you lead us in prayer, please? All right, this morning we'll uh, begin in Matthew chapter 7. Look at a topic that we typically tend, uh, I feel sometimes I tend to, I tend to take for granted. Um, but just some, as things are, and this world go, and <clears throat> we typically don't tend to think much about uh, our prayer life. Something that's important to, should be important to each one of us, but we don't mention it a whole lot. So I thought we'd take a take some time today to look at prayer. So Matthew chapter seven, just a few short verses there in the seventh chapter of Matthew, verses uh, seven and eight. There, he says, "Ask and it shall be given to you; seek and you shall find it; knock and it shall be opened unto you." For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Let me read a little bit further there, actually. It says, Or what, ma- uh, what man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a, a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give you good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things that whatsoever you sh- would that men should do to you, do you even so to them. For this is the uh, this is the law and the prophets. So prayer is our communication with with the Lord. This is something that's an integral part of our service and our and our giving up of ourselves to service of the Lord. We experience. Uh, difficulties and troubles in our life, what's the first thing we typically tend to do? Well, most people go, oh, woe is me, don't they? But we have a support and a help during these difficult times. Prayer helps us to focus on our communication with the Lord, the person that provides us with advocacy and with help on our behalf. You say, well, what does he do? He provides us with help here mentally also physically he provides the needs that we have 
emotionally, whatever it is that we have need of, he provides that for us. In this particular instance here, the Lord is talking with the disciples here, preaching. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. But this particular passage of Scripture speaks specifically to prayer. He goes on to say, ask, petition, ask for this. And it should be given to you. Seek and you shall find it. Knock and it should be opened unto you. That doesn't mean that he would give us everything our heart desires. Scripture, people tend to twist these particular passages of Scripture and it's saying, well, Lord, if we, like the song goes, we ask for a Mercedes Benz, then he'll provide it for us. I don't think that's necessarily what he's talking about. He's talking about providing us what we need in our service to him as we rely on him. So he says, ask and it should be given to you. Seek and you shall find it. Knock and it should be opened to you. What is it that we need? We need help. We need help in our everyday life. And who does our help come from? It comes from the Lord, doesn't it? As the scripture says. So prayer is an integral part of our life. It should be. One of the things that's been popping up recently in my life is talking about communication. And that's something that I struggle with in some cases. With just average everyday tasks, I get, forget to think about those things. And I may just think it in my mind and just expect for somebody else to know it. Um, it's not an easy task to, to carry out as communicating with one another. Sometimes we get lost in our own thoughts and we don't communicate effectively. So what is it that we do with the Lord? Do we forget to communicate these things to the Lord? Absolutely we do from, from time to time. So what's the focus here? We should focus our our communication with the Lord and, and, and to having a greater prayer life. He goes on there, he says, For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. What's it mean? Petitioning the Lord, asking, communicating with him, telling him what we need. I've had conversations with several people lately about the needs of the Lord providing for them, that that he hasn't answered or Maybe he's just not answering us in the time that we find appropriate. His, his answer will come in time. It's very difficult for us to, to be patient in, in, in this flesh, isn't it? I mean, I know from day to day I struggle with being patient on certain things. I want to pass the guy in traffic that's driving twice as slow as I am. But I have to remember, you know, I need to be patient. Well, same thing with our waiting on the Lord. We need to be patient and wait for his timing. After all, we're not, he's not serving us, we're serving him. So this here is what Jesus is trying to, to preach here is regarding asking for things and petitioning regarding our, our desire to maybe have understanding of the scripture as well. He says, Or what man is there of you that knoweth that whom if his son asks for bread will give him a stone or a fish and ask for a serpent? He goes on and says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? He's not saying necessarily that they're evil. He's saying if, if, a, fa- if a child asks for something, would a parent give this to them? Give something opposite. Give them bread, give them a stone, or that, or give them a serpent. He's saying, if you then having this thought, if you being evil know these how to give good gifts to your children, 
How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask of him? He's trying to demonstrate here. A parent and a child's relationship. When a, parent, when a child asks for something, I am struggle with communicating with Jubilee. We, we all know she's non, mostly nonverbal. She can say certain things. Yesterday, I got uh, we were we were talking with Jubilee, and she wanted something. I couldn't we couldn't figure out what she needed. She couldn't get it out clear enough, and it sounded like she was asking for something else. And thought cup. We thought everything we we could possibly ask for, and says just show us what you want. So she walks us in the kitchen, and she wanted something to drink. So sometimes I have. Difficulty understanding what my child says, but I don't want to give her the wrong thing. I want to I want to give her what will help her. Uh, but she looked to me for her support and for her help because she couldn't get what she needed. Well, that's what the Lord's demonstrating of a sort here. He's saying, look, he says, if you know how to give these things, he says, how much more so will a servant ask me and I'll give these things. So communicating with the Lord is asking of him help and the things that we need in this life to do his work. And that's something that we often struggle with, communicating our needs to the Father. Let's look at John chapter 14. Verse 11 of of chapter 14 there. Says, believe me that I am the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray to the Father, and he, will, he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth from whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, and he that dwell with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, and I will come to you. I'll stop there. And we know he's talking about the Spirit there. What does he say there, verse 11? He says, Believe me that I am the Father and the Father in me, and else believe me for every work's sake. What was a common thing that happened at that particular time? And Jesus was teaching and, and preaching here regarding the Lord and especially here regarding the coming of the Holy Spirit. But he says, The Father is in me and I'm in him. And he says there what? He says, But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the work he doeth the works. So he's the one that does these things. Excuse me, I went and read the verse before that. He says, Believe me that I am in the Father. So Jesus is a representation of, of the Lord at that particular point, isn't he? He says, Or else believe me for the very work's sake. What work's sake? The work of doing the Lord's work, establishing the church there, teaching the disciples, making ready. It says, He that believeth on me, the works that I 
do shall he also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So the Lord provides the increase, doesn't he? He provides us with the opportunity. We just need to what? Believe on him. We need to understand that he is the one working through us. He says, whatever ye shall ask in my name, and that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What do you think the understanding of that is there? Ask these things in my name. Don't doubt. Do these. Ask these things because I'm going to provide for you, and it's going to be the God, God's going to be glorified in this. He says, "If you shall ask of anything in my name, I will do it." Why do you think those miracles transpired there at the hands of the the apostles there, the disciples, when they were doing these things? It was because they truly believed the Lord would do those things, and the Lord desired to establish. That he had the authority there, so that's why those miracles transpired, wasn't it? There was a need, and they asked for help. I think sometimes the problems that we have in this life, we don't believe just enough that the Lord can take care of these things. So what's the hindrance there? Are we communicating? Are we asking the Lord for these things? Are we asking him for for the help that, that only he can provide? find typically that's the struggle in my life when I struggle with these things is because I'm not asking. I'm not communicating enough. It's in the difficulty that we should look, uh, we, we should just look to the Lord only in the times of difficulty, but at all times. But even more stringent should we ask of the Lord when we encounter such difficulty. Is that not what Paul did? Paul besought the Lord to have the thorn removed from his flesh. What did the Lord tell him? My grace is sufficient for you. That's what we talked about last week. He goes on there, If you shall ask of anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he will abide with you forever. Jesus knew his time was short, but what did he say? Keep my commandments if you love me. And then he goes on and says, the comforter is going to come after me to give you comfort. Wow. It was going to be hard for those disciples and those apostles to see the suffering that Jesus was going to go through. And for him to be gone was going to be hard because they'd had him with him for all this time. But that was the comfort there that he would send something else to comfort them, to support them. Why? Because his fulfillment and his service was that he would provide a new and living way, right? The apostles, even though uh, those serving the Lord there, didn't quite understand, I don't think, to what depth that he was meaning. I'm going to go, and I'm going to send this comforter to you, We have, we have so much information on, on, in the scripture concerning prayer. The Lord stated that that word believing there is pistuo in the Greek. 
It's to trust in or to entrust or have respect to. So entrust, to trust in something. There is a little inscription on the back of our dollar bill and, and a lot of our currency that says, in God we trust. Not a whole lot of trust in God currently, is there, for most people? I think that's where most of our troubles come into play, is because we don't have enough trust in the Lord. But to trust in something, we have to have a common link of communication, don't we? We're human. We do not. We don't do well with communication sometimes. I think that's our biggest struggle. So, the Lord provides as we, as we ask of Him, as we communicate with Him. What is it that we need to accomplish in His work? Building the kingdom, right? Talking to people. Ministering to them. Being representative of the kingdom of God. That's exactly what we're commissioned to do. Let's look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we'll read it. Starting in verse 5 there, he says, If any man of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to you, uh, to give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Excuse me, I can't read this morning. <clears throat> but let him ask in faith, not nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea driven with wind and tossed. For let not the man, that man think that he should receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And let the, uh, the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. But the rich is that he is made low, because as the flower of grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fadeth away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive of the crown of life, which is the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Familiar passage of Scripture. What does he say there? Him that lack wisdom, ask of the Lord. Because he gives it, what, liberally. He gives it freely. Does that sound familiar? Solomon asked for wisdom, didn't he? And the Lord provided it very liberally. We see this. He was accounted to prosper in, in the Old Testament. But something was his undoing. He, through his countless marriages, what? Kind of got distracted from serving the Lord, didn't he? That was the downfall of the kingdom of Solomon, was his many commitments to these other kingdoms through marriage. We can ask for wisdom, but how do we maintain that wisdom, right? I think that's the demonstration there in the scripture. He gives it freely, but don't forget who gave it. 
what is it we like to say? The Lord giveth and he taketh away. He can give us something. He can also take it away from us. We need to be mindful who we serve. He says, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given, given of him. So he gives it to us as we have need. He says, but let him ask in faith, not wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. What's that mean? You think about the ocean in a storm. When the wind blows, those waves blow where the wind moves it, right? Just think about a cup when you're walking and you move it like this. It shakes, doesn't it? It moves all different directions. It has no direction at all. But the Lord is not designed that way. We rely on him and he gives us the direction, doesn't he? But we have to keep ourselves free of distraction. How do we do that? By praying to the Lord, by asking him to, to guide us and lead us. Most of the time that's where our struggle comes. And it says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, and let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of grass, he shall pass away. What's the, what's the, what's the contrast there in rich and poor? Talking about the, the poor relying on the Lord because they don't have anything. The Lord provides for them. They seek, seeking for deliverance from what, ever their need is. But yet the demonstration there is regarding riches, it, it provides a little bit of difficulty. It's pretty and it lasts a little while, but it's gone after a bit, isn't it? It fades away. So then he goes on, he says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he has tried, he shall receive of the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to, tempt, to them that love him. Temptation. The, the alternate life that we could be living, right? It's temporary. And it may look pretty, but it's not going to last. So who is it that we're supposed to rely on? The Lord. Prayer provides us with many things. Through communication, it provides, you know, Lord delivers us. He provides for us. He provisions our strength. Gives us an opportunity to thank him for what he does provide. So that's all of it summed up in one little ball. I think that's oversimplifying it, but the demonstration is very much so there of what our relying on the Lord and our asking of the Lord and petitioning him regarding what it is that we need. What we need to do is to maintain our faith in him. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, just real quick. First Samuel chapter 1. In verse 27 of First Samuel chapter 1. So you look back up to verse 26 there. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, 
I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me of my petition, which I have asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped and, and he worshiped the Lord there. What are we talking about? We're talking about Hannah, who had no child and desired one greatly. So she prayed to the Lord and earnestly in her desire to have a child. And what did he do? He provided one, didn't he? And as a result of that, Hannah said, okay, Lord, he's yours because you've provided for me. You have heard my petition. It says, for this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition of which I have asked of him. So what? I'm going to lend him to you. And he worshiped the Lord there. So he stayed right there where she prayed for him there in the temple. So, the Lord can provide something so great like that. What else can He provide for for His for His people? Mm. What is it that he did, David asked for? He asked to be. He told him he served, served the Lord with all of his heart. Right? He went after the Lord. He did some things that were contrary to the Lord's work. But what happened? The Lord still established him when he recognized and he repented of what he had done that was contrary to his word. Right? What happened? He went on to establish the kingdom. It prospered. And the Lord's, what? And even after those things which David did against the Lord, he still went after the Lord when he repented, didn't he? And he taught his children. And his children taught his children, their children about that. Were they perfect? No. That's not the point. The point is for us to rely on the Lord. He'll work the rest of that stuff out for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 14. He says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, and hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray to God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll stop there. Again, another very familiar passage of scripture, one we like to quote quite frequently. We talk about praying without ceasing. Continually praying for the Lord's guidance, for the Lord's understanding. 
That's seeking counsel, isn't it? I mean, it should be. That's exactly what we're doing when we're communicating with the Lord is we're seeking counsel. We're asking thanks for the things that he has provided thus far. What does it say? Without prayer, we're weak. We're a weaker people, aren't we? Prayer is also a demonstration of our trust in the Lord. That pray there, and I'm going to butcher this, so it's called, in the Greek, it's called prosekima, which means to supplicate or to earnestly ask for something. What is it we're asking for? Sometimes we can ask for the inappropriate things, can't we? But are we placing our trust appropriately in the Lord? Are we asking for Him to provide wisdom and encouragement and strength, knowledge and wisdom, those things that only God can provide? Because we know that the ruler of this world is pretty crafty in his deception. It may promise us a lot of good things, but we all know those things are going to what? They're going to disappear, aren't they? They're going to go away. It's just temporary. So let us not get distracted by what is temporary and look to what is eternal. Let's look at 1 John chapter 3. Sorry, wrong way. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Then we'll turn over to 1 John. <clears throat> it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open up my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, and that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that ye also may know my affairs, and how I do Titus, a beloved brother and faithful minister, Lord, shall make known to you all things, of whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, that he might comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all, uh, with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So just a few short verses there that we're focusing on. He just finished talking about putting on the armor of God and being prepared for service. And then he seems as though he switches gears, but he doesn't. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. What is it? Paul's earnest desire was that they would all be clothed and prepared for service in the Lord. How do we make diligent preparation? Through prayer. How do we put this on? 
reading the scripture, asking the Lord to show us how it is that we are to be clothed properly. So that we might all persevere through the difficulties that we do face. He says, and for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open boldly my mouth to make known the mysteries of the gospel, to talk about it, to proclaim it. There are times when I, Tyler, can't speak something as I should. Those are the times that I, ask, I should ask the Lord to show me, go, okay, Lord, open my mouth and help me get rid of it so that I can share with the person that I need to communicate with. Most difficulties that we have in the Lord's church are because we don't communicate with one another. So there's a breakdown in communication between us and the Lord. There's another problem, isn't it? shows you just how crucial prayer is in our service to the Lord. Paul's desire was that they be adequately equipped. We can provide provision and speak the words to those who need to hear it. He goes on there, he says, For which I am an ambassador in, in bonds, and therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He says, Even though I'm a subdued, I'm subdued by chains. I'm I'm stuck here. He says, still give me the strength to speak those things, right? Boldly. Maybe physical or metaphorically being in chains is still the same thing. Give us the strength to speak even in our bonds, even in, a, in what, what, what wears us down or holds us down. We still have a duty to do those things even when we are under bondage, Right? I mean, Paul here was under bondage in the Roman Empire, but guess what? He was still doing what the Lord asked him to do. I can imagine him being chained to his house. I know the, I know the brother had come to him to seek him out and find him, and the guards would admit those folks to him, let him see him. But, you know, he also talked to those people that came in and out, didn't he? Guards probably magistrates, probably judges, probably lawyers. He, took, he spoke to all men that come through. Working in a, in a secular workplace where it's not so easy to talk about the scripture. I haven't always had that. When I worked in Arkansas, I worked for a company that let us freely talk about the word of God. And it was great. But in a more secular company, I can't talk like I did before. We started our meetings in Arkansas with prayer or with a devotional thought or something. But here it's not like that. So it's a little harder for me to talk about those things. It comes up in conversation. I say, well, you know, my thought is, but I'm not like, you know. So I ask the Lord each day, give me the words that I can speak or to demonstrate that I care about these people because the Lord has plans for them too. That's not easy. That's probably harder than it's ever been for me. But nonetheless, you still ask the Lord to show you even when you're constrained by what your environment is. Because he works even in those situations. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3. I'm about five minutes over, y'all. So promise I'll make quick work of this. 1 John chapter 3. 
Verse 17 through 22 is where we're going to read there in chapter chapter 3 of 1 John. But whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother, uh, brother have need, and shutteth his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and knoweth all things. I know that the writer here speaks of demonstrating our our love by our actions, not just our words. So what is also the thing? Prayer is demonstrated in that too. He says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. He also talks about us having compassion and having a need. Well, we can't provide a need. A need if somebody has a need, what can we do for them? We can provide prayer for them, and the one who has control over that can provide. God has the control over that, doesn't He? So there's a bit of that in this passage of scripture here he says beloved if our hearts condemn us not then we have confidence towards god in verse 21 there and whatsoever we ask we receive of him because we keep his commands and do those things that are pleasing in his sight and this is his commandment that we should believe on on the name of the son jesus christ and love one another as he gave us commandment and that he that keepeth his commandments dwell in him and he in them and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which, which he hath given us. So what does he go on there? He talks about ask. He says, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. We're serving the Lord and we're seeking after him. He provides the needs, doesn't he? He says, And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. Hereby we know that he abide in us, and the spirit which he has given us. Communicating properly with the Lord and with one another, providing the needs that that requires of us. We're to work together. That's the directive there. If all I can provide for you is prayer, then I'm going to do it. I should be. Look at Philippians chapter 4 and then we'll come to a close after this. Philippians 4 and 4 through verse, starting in verse 4 there. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation uh, be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, and in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are, are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, 
If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Simple. Pretty simple. The encouragement here that Brother Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. He says there, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. Be careful for nothing. This sums up a lot of what we've been looking at here in the scripture. In everything, he stresses in everything. Something that we would deem probably insignificant. Ask the Lord for guidance in it. He provides that wisdom and that knowledge. Goes back to what we read over there about about uh, pray without ceasing over there in First Thessalonians. Everything, pray without ceasing. We're servants of the Lord. We're seeking constant direction, aren't we? We should be. Because again, we make the decisions on our own. We're not. We're not seeking the Lord's guidance, the Lord's direction on those things. Or at least we should. But his direction was there to the church. He says, Be careful for nothing and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Doesn't mean he's going to give us the answer instantaneously. There's things that Don and I have prayed for since we got married. But he didn't provide them right away. We knew at one point we would that I would be called a pastor somewhere, but we didn't know when or where. We just had to rely on the Lord and pray that he would prepare us for that. Have there been things that have come up since then that we didn't understand? Absolutely. But he provides the understanding in time. And then he goes on there in verse 8, he talks about whatsoever, and he goes through true and honest and just and pure and lovely and good report, a virtue, praise. Think on these things. It's easy for us to get distracted and darkened in our understanding by the things that are going on in the world, and sometimes in our own midst, amongst our own households. But guess what? Divert your attention. Look at what's important. Think on those things. That's kind of the oomph we need to get through it, isn't it? And the one who, what? Who's the light come from? Comes from the Lord, doesn't it? It reveals the things that are, the, the hidden things. Scripture talks about that, the hidden things. How do we do that? By prayer and supplication, asking the Lord to guide us and reveal to us what it is that we should do. And those things, he can sustain us and care for us. That's what he was trying to instruct the brethren here at Philippi to do.
He says, but I, verse 10, he says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly and that now the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye also were, were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Now I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therefore uh, therewith to be content. And I know both how to be abased and I know both how to abound and wherein every, everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthened me, strengtheneth me, notwithstanding you have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippi know also the beginning of the gospel. When I depart from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as giving, concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but because I desire fruit, that I may abound to your account. But I have all and abound, and I am full and have received Epaphroditus of these things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet-smelling sacrifice, acceptable and well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory and forever and ever. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, and chiefly them that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So what is it? Paul sought the deliverance of the Lord. He sought his wisdom, his guidance through prayer. And he provisioned that. So if he can provide those things for Paul, for those churches there that we read about in Asia Minor, and we could see the provision that he's given to his people in the present day, we know that prayer is probably the most effective tool that we have in our at our disposal. We just need to use it. Because if prayer is absent in our life, what does it do? It makes it makes us weak, doesn't it? There's a saying for that I've seen on a church billboard a time or two, but I can't remember the, the saying eludes me right now. But it speaks to that about being weak without, leaves one's life weak without prayer. Go a week without prayer and it makes one weak. That's it. No, I'd remember it eventually. I have to pray the Lord will sharpen my mind a little bit from day to day. So, thank you for your attention. We'll stand to be dismissed. About 15 minutes.